We turn this evening in God's Word to the book of Galatians chapter 3. The book of Galatians chapter 3. going to begin reading at verse 1. We'll be reading through verse 14, but then we'll also be going down through 21 through the end of the chapter as well. Let's hear then God's word to us this evening. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those who, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And going down to verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law in prison until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, 
then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Inspire the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer this evening. Our dear Heavenly Father, you are truth. Since you wrote the Bible through your servants, the Bible is therefore truth as well. It is pure. It is unadulterated. It is your breathed out word to us. And yet, Lord, there are parts in your word that need explaining. Just as you sent Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch to explain the verses that he was reading in Isaiah. Lord, you have given us Pastor Bob to explain these words to us. Give him clarity of mind, give him a clarity of speech, so that we will understand what you want us to know. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And so we uh, begin this evening with that once again statement, what does Scripture, what does Scripture say about salvation? We've been looking at a number of issues as we are on our Wednesday night Bible study comparing our beliefs as Orthodox Presbyterians, as Reformed believers, to those in other Reformed and Presbyterian denominations and to those who are now outside of that camp. What is it that we believe that Scripture says about a whole variety of issues that we have been looking at? Whether it be the sacraments, whether it be God himself, whether it be Christ, whether it be uh, God's revelation in the Word, Tonight, it's that most precious doctrine of salvation. What does Scripture actually tell us about salvation? Now, obviously, to put that all into one sermon, uh, I left myself plenty of time, so we have uh, lots of opportunity. But you can't put it all in a sermon. You, you can't put it all into the, the words of a lifetime, even all that scripture has to say. But this at least will, will help focus our thinking upon the issue of salvation and what the Bible actually tells us. Not what our documents tell us, not what our creeds and confessions tell us, not what other men have written and said, but what does the Bible tell us about salvation. And as we begin that, we have to acknowledge, especially in this week, our great debt as Reformed believers to, to Martin Luther. Although not of the Reformed faith, certainly he was an instrument used by the Lord. It was he who uh, rediscovers, one would say, the truth of God's word written plainly that the just shall live by faith, that our righteousness is by faith, that salvation is by faith. And we are greatly and deeply indebted to him for that work. And I hope you have the opportunity to impress upon your children in this coming week the importance of that as we approach the 31st of October and reflect upon uh, God's use of this man. But in God's providence, there were others who were raised up, others that God used, following from Luther's 
uh, discovery, we can say, of that text of Scripture, who delved into the issue of salvation even more deeply in order that we might have a good and right understanding from God's Word about this issue of salvation. Here in our text, we have before us two things, two of the most crucial elements that we deal with in terms of salvation. And they are these. That no righteousness can ever be attained by our works. We cannot be justified by our works. There is no salvation because of that which we do. That's what Paul is impressing upon these Galatians time and time and time again throughout this entire book, but particularly in this third chapter. So that'll become one of the major things that we look at tonight, that no righteousness by works. But there is the other side that in this passage, Paul clearly teaches us that we do have salvation, that we are justified, that we are made righteous by faith. So it's not by that which we do. It is a righteousness that comes by faith. Those two boil down the whole of what we believe about salvation. As I said, there's, there's more pieces and parts to it. But that becomes the core. That's the central teaching that we hold on to. So note how Paul teaches this very clearly. Chapter 3, verse 10. That there is no righteousness by works. Verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Well, if we're under a curse, we have no salvation. If we're under a curse, there is no justification. If we're under a curse, there is no righteousness. It is impossible for man to achieve righteousness by that which he does, by his works, by his acts whether they be religious acts, whether they be religious rituals, whether they be good works. Man cannot achieve it. Why? Because all fall short. All fall short of what? Of keeping God's law. Listen to Paul earlier in Romans chapter 3. I'll be reading verses 9 through 20, Romans chapter 3. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive the venom of them. Venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and that the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Clearly, you can't do anything to save yourself. And when we contrast that core belief with those in other groups, with other denominations, other faiths, we see that there is a startling difference that emerges between those who think that in some way, in some form, that they have something to say about their salvation. Scripture says impossible. Impossible. No one's will can make on its own a decision for Christ. It's impossible. Because no one can be justified by works of the law. Why? Because we all fall short. We, we don't meet the full requirements and demands that God's holiness places upon our lives. Because all fail. All fail. Listen to James in James chapter 2. following it's James 2.10 for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder if you do not commit adultery but do murder you have become a transgressor of the law so if we fail at just one point if, if we come in at 99.9% of keeping God's law, we fail. And when we reflect upon the perfection and holiness of God, and we see the imperfection of our own lives, we realize we're not anywhere near the 99.9%. 70? 50? 20? 10? How can I be saved by that which I do when the vast majority of that which I do condemns me? And even that which I do is still tainted with sin. Even the good that I do still carries sin with it. No one can be counted righteous. No one can be saved. There is no salvation by that which I do. Because we're all depraved. We're all totally depraved individuals. Listen to Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 verse 3. I'll, I'll begin at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses in sin in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See, Paul here is not just talking about pagans. Paul's talking about those of us in the church too. We too fall short. We too fail. We too carry with us a depraved nature. We were like the rest of mankind. We cannot gain our salvation by that which we do. That's what Luther discovers. After all those years of trying to follow all the Catholic rules and rituals, trying to earn his salvation, trying to do enough good merits that he has a credit. On the positive side, he comes to the realization, I'm a sinner. I fail. I'll never be saved if it's up to me to earn my salvation. He rediscovers that which Paul writes for us here through the Spirit. That no one who relies upon the works of the law shall be saved. I can't rely upon my mind. I can't rely upon my will. I can't rely upon my heart. I can't rely upon my words. I can't rely upon my actions. They only condemn me. They can earn me no salvation. How then are we saved? We're saved by being justified by faith. Go back to Galatians chapter 2. Excuse me. Galatians yeah, it's chapter 2, it's 15 and 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. What does scripture teach us about our salvation? Never justified by our own works, by our own actions. Justified only by faith in Jesus Christ. Notice how often Paul hints at that in the chapter that we just read. Chapter 3, 7 and 8. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And scripture foreseeing that God would justify, there's the word again, the Gentiles by faith, there's the word again, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith, there's the word again, are blessed, saved, salvation 
along with Abraham, the man of faith. There's the word again. Notice that Paul speaks of this again in verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Go down to verse 24. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Clear as a bell over and over again in Scripture. How are we saved? We're justified by faith. But that leaves us with the question, doesn't it? If our salvation is by faith, if we're justified by faith, if we have salvation by faith, if we're righteous by faith, what is this faith thing? What is that? That seems to become the integral part now. What is this faith? If by faith I am saved, then I had better know what Scripture means by this faith. What, what do I have to do? What action do I have to do? What work do I have to do to get this faith? Well, I can't do a work to get faith, can I? Because then it's a work. And no one is justified by works. It's not just that i got to really think really hard about things. And if I really think really hard about things, then I'll be justified and saved. No, because then I'm doing another action. I am in, I'm supposedly the one doing the thinking, so that would be my thinking leading to my salvation. But Paul's already told us that I can't be saved by that. So what do I have to do to get this faith? And the answer is absolutely nothing. Because I don't do something to get faith. I receive faith because faith is a gift. Faith is that which God gives. It's faith is what God grants. Galatians, Ephesians once again, chapter 2, verse 8. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, salvation through faith, and this is not your own doing. You didn't do anything to get or achieve this faith. It isn't that you walked down the aisle on your knees. You didn't climb 500 steps of stone up to some Virgin Mary relic, and now you got faith because you did your part. Now God gives you faith because you did your half. You came to a baptismal font. You did your part, and now God gives you faith as a result of what you did. No, faith is a gift. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. God gives the gift of faith. I don't earn it. I certainly don't deserve it. That's what makes it grace. 
God gives to me, to you, grace by granting us faith as a gift. A gift that only some have. A gift that only some receive. So that only some are justified. It's not given to all. We all don't receive this. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father, I'm at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, in which he has blessed us in the Beloved. We have received a gift, a gift that not everyone gets. Not everybody gets faith. Not everyone receives that gift of God. Therefore, not everyone is justified. It's not for all. All won't be saved. All don't get it. Only those that God has predestined, only those that God has chosen. It's a gift. He can give the gift to whoever he desires. It's his gift to give. He doesn't have to play by our rules. He doesn't have to play by everybody gets a trophy now. No winners, no losers. It's God. He makes the rules. Who are you, old man, to question God? Who are we to think that we can challenge God's holiness? That we have the right to challenge God's justice? That our warped view of the world and of what is right and of what is fair, that happens only one week a year. To, to challenge God. His wisdom. His power. His might. God grants faith to some. Not to all. So that his grace is the more magnified so that his love is more embraced. For I know that there is nothing in me, and there is nothing in you. There is no work I have done, there is no work you have done, that God said, you know, they work so hard for their salvation, I'm just going to grant them faith so they can be saved. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. But God grants it out of his grace because faith is a gift. And God's gifts 
are irrevocable. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. This is not made up. This is not some thought or doctrine that we came up with as reform folks in some way. And we can't lose our salvation. No, it's biblical. Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. I didn't even make up the word. It's in scripture. What does irrevocable mean? It means it's never taken back. God's gift of faith, his calling upon our life, is never taken away. God never takes back the gift he has given. It never can be lost. I can't throw it away. I can't waste it. When God puts his hold upon you and me, it is his sovereign hand that holds us. We never, never can be lost. No one, nothing can ever snatch us from the hand of God. <laughs> you see, that's what Luther's rediscovering. Because his background is saying, oh, yes, you can. If you don't say enough Hail Marys, if you don't pay enough in penance, if you don't take the Mass enough, if you don't do all these rituals, if you don't follow all these rules, you can lose your salvation, Martin. You better be afraid, Martin. On the eve of All Hallows' Day, you better be afraid, Martin, when you walk through the woods on All Hallows' Eve because the devil is there to clutch your soul and he's going to rob you. He's going to take you from your salvation. The devil's filled are going to come into your life, Martin. You better be careful. You better walk. You better walk carefully with the church. And though this world with devil's fill should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth, his truth to triumph through us. What's his truth? That when God puts his hand around me in his salvation, I cannot be taken from him. Faith is a gift that is irrevocable. But faith is also believing. Yes, it comes to us as a gift, but, but that, that gift that is then implanted in our hearts, implanted in our souls, implanted in our lives, doesn't just sit there as some sort of empty receptacle. That faith that God gives is in something. It is believing. It is trusting Christ. That's what, that's what Paul is pleading with these Galatians about. They're hearing from false teachers. They've heard the gospel. They know exactly what it is that Paul has said. They know exactly what it is I've preached tonight because that's what Paul preached to them. But somebody's come in 
false teachers have come in and have started eroding that truth and have started planting the seed in their minds, the thought that, no, they, they need to do more. There's works they have to do, and it's not all about Christ. So Paul in, in Galatians 3 keeps coming back to Christ, faith in Christ, believing in Christ. Go through Galatians chapter 3 and note how many times Paul makes reference to Christ. Why? Because that's the essence of faith. The essence of faith is Christ. It's not creation, as important of a doctrine as that is. It's not scripture, as important as a doctrine as that is. Without faith, object, of Christ, there is no salvation. But what is this, what is this believing in Christ? Is it just believing he's a person, believing he came into the world, believing as we had a few weeks ago in his humanity and divinity? No, it's believing in his work. It's believing in that which he came to do. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That's faith. See, that's looking at Christ and saying, he's there on that cross for me. He's dying for me. He's suffering for my sin. He is bearing the wrath of God for all my iniquity, for all my shortcomings, for all my failure, for all of my depravity. Christ's work is to hang upon that tree. And I believe, I believe, faith says, I believe that Christ has redeemed us from the curse. How? By dying on that cross for me. But notice Paul follows that up in verse 26. For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. So the object of faith is indeed Christ, but it's that which Christ has done. It's that Christ has paid the penalty so that I might be considered a son of God, a child of God, that I might be considered his, that I might be considered righteous and holy and blameless and pure, in the sight of God, not by that which I have done, but that which Christ has done. That's faith. It looks to Christ as the one who dies upon the cross in our place for our sin. But it also looks to Christ as the one who grants us righteousness, who gives us that salvation so that we stand not on some neutral plane, but we stand in holiness with the Lord. Faith, this gift that God gives, this grace that God dispenses, that I don't deserve, that I don't earn, is in Christ and in the work of Christ. For one little word shall fell him, and that word above all earthly powers. Christ. And it's Christ alone. 
There is no other name given among men by which we can be saved. Mary doesn't help in my salvation, nor does Peter, nor does John, nor does Jude, nor does St. Francis. None of them help in my salvation. None of them add to my salvation. None of them have a part of my salvation. That word above all earthly powers. See, that's what Luther is taking his stand against. He's saying, none of this. It's Christ and Christ's work alone that saves. What do we believe about salvation? It's not by me, and it's not by anybody else. It's by Christ alone. Why do we believe that? Because that's what the scriptures teach us. But there is another aspect, and it's found here in this third chapter as well. Faith is, is not just is, is, is the gift. Faith is believing. But faith is also living. Look at chapter 3 again. Verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. What does Paul mean by that? Well, he, meant, he means we wear Christ. We wear the garment of Christ. What's the garment of Christ? Righteousness. The garment of Christ's righteousness is that which is cast upon our shoulders. We were depraved. We were like the rest of mankind. But we've been granted grace. We've been granted faith. Faith in the work of Christ so that now we live in Christ. See, faith isn't just believing. Faith is living. It's living Christ day by day. Why? Because Christ is clothing our lives. Christ covers our life. And what do we see in the life of Christ upon the, in this world? We see a life of obedience. We see a life of love. We see a life of testifying to the glory of God. We see a life of serving. That's what faith is. That's why James comes back in James 2. Faith without works is dead because it's no faith. It's not really faith. Faith isn't just believing, it's being clothed in the righteousness of Christ and living in that glorious hope and living in that glorious freedom. It's an aspect of the Reformation. Luther brought us along, great that he did. But he never brought us there. But God raises up another man, a man by the name of John Calvin, to move us to that point. Luther instilled within us that it is by grace that we are saved. Grace in the final and finished work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But Calvin is the one who brings forth the idea that we live for the glory of God. Why? Because that's what Christ did every moment of his existence. He lives for the glory of God. We are to seek to live obediently to live lovingly, to live testifying to that which God has done, not which I have done, which God has done. 
to him be the praise and glory both now and forevermore. I didn't come to faith. God gave me faith. I didn't come to believe. God gave me belief. It's not my testimony. It's God's testimony. Look what I did with this depraved sinner. It's God's testimony. A life of serving. Here's my heart. Here's my hands. Use me for your glory and for your praise. That's what lies before us, brothers and sisters, in this week. Do you know? Do you know? Believe in Christ. It's the only means of salvation. That's not of yourself. That's the gift of God. Live it. Live it. Live it with a smile on your face. You bear no guilt anymore. Live it with hands that desire to love and to serve. Live it with a testimony of praise upon your lips. And God's people say, Amen. Thank you, Lord. Salvation is all of you. For if it were left up to any one of us, even in the smallest of parts, none of us here would be saved. But it's all because of you. And what you have done. Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Christ and Christ alone is my salvation. In his name, God's people say, Amen.